Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, folks. And welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris. Here, as always, with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan, wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If you want to listen to it uh, more, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify, and subscribe. If you subscribe, you won't miss the episodes when we drop them on Mondays. YouTube.com, type in A to Z Sports if you want to see the show. And subscribe there. You'll get our show. You'll get clips from the show, any extra content. And you also get all of the content from A to Z Sports itself, Titans, anything else that they talk about, NFL content. It's awesome. So subscribe there. Hit that little notification bell on YouTube, too. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Natural, and A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write. Zach, you've been a busy, busy man, even though it is the biggest lull of the off season you're cranking out that content but you were on vacation uh last week for the show had barrett's leon it was awesome uh but how are you You feeling good getting back on the grind here yeah it's uh anytime you come back from a week of vacation in the middle of summer whenever you get back it kind of feels like football season because camps are getting ready to start going and ramping up in training camp in the nfl college camp far behind so it's uh, it's still a little, little warm, pretty hot right now, middle of the summer. But football is uh, is almost in the air. It is real close. SEC media days starts today, Monday, uh, whatever day, July eighteenth. I've lost all track of time. July eighteenth. It is today. Brian Kelly up first, I believe, at SEC media days. The SEC Network posted this like hype video for the season. It's so close. You can you can smell that that grass. You get get the tent ready to take it down to campus because it's you know we we got a tailgate here before too long. <sighs> and Tennessee is on a on a Thursday. We start on a Thursday, so we get to do it even earlier than everybody else. Um, I'm I'm like my heartbeat is going up as I say all of that. Man, it's so close. Uh, but. Before we get to the football on today's show, we're going to talk about SEC media days and what's happening with Tennessee. Uh, And then we're going to talk about our top five most important players for Tennessee. And this is really, I think talking about this topic is really symbolic. Because when you start talking about this is when football season is close. That's when you start doing position previews, game previews, uh, top five most important players, things like that. Uh, I I mean, what what are we talking? Just a little over uh, what? Six weeks? What, a month Six, and a half? Five. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, five. I think in terms of actual games that, you know, SEC games don't start until, I guess, September. Tennessee's game September 2nd, and we're the very first SEC game of the season, I think. Um, 
but uh, but I, I want to say what the week before, probably August 20 something. So just right around the corner. Uh, but we're going to talk about top five most important players, SC Media Days. But first, Tennessee baseball, we got to talk about them one more time because the MLB draft was last night and the Tennessee showed out three players taken uh, in the initial night of the draft. One player went to your beloved Met, Zach, wearing a Mets hat as we speak. Uh, did you have any initial thoughts on on the MLB draft with Tennessee baseball? I was uh, I was expecting Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck to go a little bit earlier than they did. It kind of felt like Kennedy Chandler when he slid down the uh, draft boards in the NBA draft uh, a couple of weeks ago when he ended up uh, finally ended up with the Memphis Grizzlies uh, via some some transactions that happened there. That was my initial thought is they dropped a little bit, but. You know, there were still uh, two first-round picks last night, and Drew Gilbert, who landed with the Houston Astros at the number 28 pick, I believe, and then Jordan Beck. Uh, he was in the mix for the Rockies at number 10, so it wasn't a surprise that the Rockies took him at number 30, I believe is where Jordan Beck. What a perfect fit for him. He's a he's a power hitter to go. Uh, gets playing Coors Field as a college hitter. Rockies fans shouldn't have to wait too long to see him Uh in the majors, if if he if he starts performing pretty pretty well pretty early in the minor leagues, you know maybe the Rockies fans could see him by the next season a little early, probably probably more twenty twenty four before you see him in the bigs. But it's certainly possible if he hits well. We've seen guys come up pretty quickly before that were college bats like that. So I think that's a uh, a perfect fit for Jordan Beck. Uh, as far as Drew Gilbert with the Astros, I mean. Gilbert knows what it's like to play for a team that's hated by by the rest of the country. There's no team that's more hated than the Astros at this point, even though it's it's not totally fair to that organization because a lot of the players that are currently with the Astros had nothing to do with the uh, the sign stealing scandal that went down in 2017. Some of those guys, of course, still left. Alex Bregman, uh, Jose Altuve, who's uh, taking his. Uh, what he took part in with that has kind of been disputed whether or not he, he cheated. But anyway, Gilbert should fit in nicely there. And then Blade Tidwell going uh, to my New York Mets. I thought uh, Tidwell was a first-round talent, had some shoulder issues last year. That's kind of why he fell healthy. The first talent it could be kind of a middle-of-the-rotation guy. He's touched 99, uh, sits like 94, 98 with his fastball. He's a great slider. Another college arm. Kind of like with Beck, if, if things go well in the minors, you could see him pretty quickly in the big leagues. Uh, the Mets, obviously I know a lot about them watching them every day. They they don't have a lot of pitching depth, starting pitching depth, so they really need a college arm like that that can maybe come up and help the team pretty quickly. I hope we do see all of those dudes in, in the pros. It's just so useful in any sport at all. You think about a guy like Grant Williams. We're just for the basketball team. Rick can point to Grant and be like, look, we got a dude starting in the NBA finals. Look at this guy. You know, well, I guess he didn't start, but he's on, you know, on the floor a lot in those games. You can point it's to that. And it's just defensive players too. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of Grant Williams talk. Uh-huh. And and so you can point to that and go, hey, here's this. So I hope it, at least one of those dudes kind of becomes uh, a, a real guy. I could see all three, as you've been saying there. I, I will admit. I am a Texas Rangers fan. I think I've talked about this on the show before. I grew up, uh, a whole side of my family lives in Fort Worth, Texas. We to, I used to spend summers with them at their house. And one of the things that we would do 
um, during those summers is go to Rangers games. So I've been growing up going to Rangers games. I never went to Braves games or anything like that. It was always Rangers games. Um, and admittedly, I was a little off put by Drew Gilbert getting selected by the Astros. The kid's amazing. Absolutely electric. Love the dude. But I have to hate him now, just like everybody else. I think I he I just the Astros are the mortal enemy at, at this point because it 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 really was a, a a table the tables got turned on the Rangers as far as the Astros went. The the Astros were in, were Vanderbilt to the Rangers for the longest time. The Rangers were kind of like the Yankees of the South, like they just bought everybody, a rod, everybody, you know, and then. Uh, the Astros did their little, uh, what is it? Wonder, what is uh, money ball? Um, and then they're, they're just whipping our ass every year. <laughs> it sucks. Um, and, and yeah, the cheat, the whole cheating thing certainly doesn't help. But as you said, could there be a better fit probably in the MLB for Drew Gilbert, a guy who is uh, hated nationwide by college baseball fans? I, I don't think so. It, it really is perfect. I love that. Um, and, and so hopefully, uh, that's not the end of Tennessee players getting taken in the draft. I think you'll see Lipscomb and some other guys too, but, uh, yeah, I think Lipscomb, Lipscomb, uh, around three through 10, I believe, or today, Monday, yeah. uh, starting this afternoon, I believe Lipscomb should go today for sure. Uh, I would think maybe, maybe third round, possibly fourth and Ben Joyce should go fourth too. Ben Joyce is really unique in the fact that. He's hard to kind of uh, project where he should go because he hasn't, you know, he's come back from Tommy John. He, he only started one game last year. He was usually mostly as a reliever, not a lot of high leverage situations. Tony Vitello was very careful with where he used Ben Joyce, which is, which is good. I mean, the, the way Joyce is coming back from a major injury, you don't want to put too much on him too fast, but oozing with talent potential. We all know about the 105-mile-per-hour fastballs he can throw. He can sit like 102, which is just totally insane. He's a player that possibly up with team this year, like in a pennant race, like this fall. Like he could come up and play the same year he's drafted, which has happened before. It happens every now and then. It doesn't happen a lot. I think it happened a couple years ago. With with It's usually a, a pitcher when it does happen. So, It'd be kind of interesting if a team that that really needs bullpen help uh, sees voices maybe a P could help them this year. I mean that that could have him drafted a little earlier than maybe expected. That that would be amazing. I hope that does happen. We'll just have to wait and see. Unfortunately, we record the show on Mondays, so we're not going to be able to find out uh, when all those guys get drafted. I, I how many rounds? There's like it's 50, only twenty thousand rounds. Now. They they backed it down after COVID. Oh, they did. Okay. Uh, so and, and part of that's because they consolidated minor league, some minor league uh, teams. They've eliminated a lot of minor league teams like uh, the Mets, for example, used to have a team in Kingsport, Tennessee. And that team no longer it's no longer the Kingsport Mets. It's no longer a minor league affiliated team. I'm not sure what they've, they've done with that specific team, but they, they tried to eliminate there being so many minor league players. It was kind of. MLB kind of acting like the NCAA in a way, just doing some stuff that didn't make sense. That was their initial answer to minor leaguers being underpaid was, okay, we'll just cut out some of the jobs and you can pay the rest of the guys more. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> a bizarre solution to a, to a problem that's existed for a long time. But, yeah, it's not, not nearly as many rounds as when, like, Mike Piazza got drafted in the 70th round or something 30 years ago. And, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, you might have been drafted. 
30 years ago. It was exactly any, like, yeah, it was wild. It is literally, it's like they're out here, like drafting like 13 year olds from, you know, that are playing at like <laughs> yeah. Cedar Bluff middle school here in Knoxville. It's crazy how many rounds there used to be, but in interesting, nonetheless, we just wanted to mention that up top. Congratulations to everybody. Oh, how about your range? Your range, uh, the Kumar rocker last night, which is, For, uh, the number wait, wait, three overall. You okay? You you went you glitched from the Wi-Fi. You mentioned Kumar Rocker, but what did you say about him? I said your Rangers took him pretty high last night. That's number true. Three, after he was drafted by Mets last year, they had signed him because of uh, some shoulder concerns, which apparently were not as big of an issue as the Mets thought they were. And it was a lot of people were talking about that. I I like that pickup. I mean, Rocker was a star in uh, in college, and I'm happy to let him work through the system see what he can do but uh they a lot of people made it hey about it because they announced his name and they didn't announce he was from vanderbilt university they announced him from farragut tennessee yes (laughs) which is right here in knoxville (laughs) i mean he spent one Um, year playing high school baseball in knoxville i believe right i mean the year that tracy rocker job was jerry pruitt's year 2018 i believe other than that he was in georgia in high school i believe I, I guess I don't really know his history after that. He's yeah. from Georgia. I know that originally from Georgia. I think he played high school ball in Georgia before coming up uh, to Knoxville. Well, he it was still hilarious. I mean, in uh, as far as I am concerned, as a Rangers fan, he is from Farragut, Tennessee. He is not a Vandy <laughs> alum. Uh, he did not do anything as far as like a college world series. I don't know. I don't know what his college career was like. Frankly, I've just heard good things. Uh, <laughs> You know, may, may, maybe he did something. I don't know. But don't. it doesn't even matter. I just want to see what he does in the pros, you know. Uh, so there's that. With with the MLB draft, now uh, we, we got to get to the the money to maker. Dude, our clips for football and especially recruiting on YouTube have been blowing up. Thanks to everybody who has been watching um, there. It's been awesome. The audience has seriously been growing. Last week, our, our full episode on on youtube i think was close to like two thousand plays on youtube it was just like wow the hey hey everybody anybody new thanks for listening we appreciate it um actually i actually had somebody uh stop me while beat we had a tennessee towel and i usually don't yeah i'm you know you meet people all the time when you're on vacation and stuff i never ever really bring up what i do or anything like that because it just it's just a weird conversation to have with somebody because I don't know. I just don't. But my brother mentioned to this guy that I see about uh, Tennessee. My brother mentioned to him who, who, who I was and he knew us, knew our show, knew, uh, knew A to Z sports and a lot of other uh, local media companies covering Tennessee sports as well. So he's a big Tennessee fan. So that was kind of nice to meet some, meet a fan on vacation. That's incredible. That's awesome. I think I've the only times I get like quote unquote recognized for what we do or from when I was on with Swain and stuff was when I go to like Tennessee sporting events. Like, of course, people who are at Tennessee sporting events might know who I am. Um, but I've been like genuinely recognized in public only one time. Uh, and it was at the Chick-fil-A in near Westtown Mall, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And the kid, I ordered my food, and the kid at the register was like, are you Charlie Burris? And I was like, 
I am? Do you like, do we have mutual, you know, expecting him to just be like, oh, my sister knows your sister or something like, you know, <laughs> to be something like that. He's like, oh, no, I saw, I saw you on Swain's show or something. You know, that was that was the one time I've I felt famous from doing this <laughs> it, where you feel like you're not just screaming into the void, you know. Um, so shout out to that guy. I don't remember his name, but uh, maybe he is listening to this now. I appreciate you. You made me feel uh, cool for that one. And I, and I was with my father-in-law, too. Oh, it's even better when you're with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And then he got to see that. Uh, so you, you you let me impress my father-in-law. That was awesome. So just you came through for. Did you nonchalantly? Did you act like you happens all the time? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> not, that's, that <laughs> yeah, I, I, I leaned back. And so I, and I was like, hey, it's not, you know, just give me one second. No, this happens all the time. I'll just stop. Yeah, another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, but bottom line, thanks to everybody who's been watching recently. And, and the thing that everyone has been wanting to hear about, of course, is football. We already said it is, it is uh, so close. You can taste it. Um, and so let's talk about SEC media days. It is happening. I mean, if there is a sign that college football is near, it is SEC media days happening. It is always a circus. I have been a bunch of times. Have Have you been Zach to SEC media days? No, I've never never went. Oh, so it is. It's just it. I'll put it this way. It's like one of my favorite things to go to as a media member. And it's also a clown show. But the fact that it's a clown show is kind of what makes it one of my favorite things to go do because they they let anybody in. Like you get guys that are getting up there and being like, uh, you know, Tuscaloosa First Baptist Church newsletter, uh, Coach Saban, uh, what do you, you know, and they're asking questions like they just it, it maybe they've pared it down like kind of like MLB. They pared it down after COVID. I don't know. But uh, it's it is uh, yeah. A, I think there was like some Alabama fans that that got in a couple of times, <laughs> kind of like what you're saying, basically, like Literally. that's not a stretch yeah. at all. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I think they have made it a little tougher, but it's still pretty easy. They send out those credential requests, and they're basically begging to uh, apply for credentials. And I think it's the more the bigger the circus it is, the better for them. I mean, we're really what can go wrong if you have a a fan that that somehow gets credentials and crashes a press conference and asks Nick Saban some stupid question about Lane Kiffin or or God knows it, it's nothing but great like free coverage for the SEC which they're all about visibility so it's really a win win yeah. for them who cares I, if you let some fan in that, that says something stupid it's just it's gonna be a viral moment for you I genuinely think SEC media days is one of the things that has really made the sec the premier league because you always get these viral moments you get the the weirdo in the lobby that wears the, the alabama national championship ring on his head <laughs> yes. and you know that they barstool sports puts that up it gets a million clicks and yeah. it's just it's goofy stuff like, like that uh, now, speaking of goofy how about philip former not being yeah he was be served a subpoena and had to be like on speakerphone you know that wasn't exactly that long ago, less than 20 years ago yeah, stuff stuff like that. I mean, it's been crazy since way back when, even um, and and now and, and I I just love it. It was just always really fun to go and obviously meet meet other media members, and that's fun because we're all just a bunch of dorks out. But uh, it it was just that really easy accessibility to players from every team, to coaches from every team, and just kind of that communal thing. 
was was always awesome. I, I know some you know, media guys like that's like their like summer vacation. They get to go and like a lot of those guys. Oh go yeah, and, you'll like, you'll party. see them like yeah, like singing karaoke you know, yeah. later <laughs> at bars and stuff. Yeah, uh, it's, I tell you, it's a, two of my favorite or one of my favorite things. I have two specific instances that happened well than that. Is anytime uh, there's a coach at SEC Media Days, and and it it could happen this year with Brian Harson. He would be a good candidate for this, uh, considering all the stuff that happened at Auburn this past offseason, where he was almost fired. It's when a coach is kind of facing some questions, and they get up there and and they get their opening statement. They have so much um, a lot for their opening statement and for questions, and they'll get up there and filibuster for fifteen or twenty minutes. We saw Hugh Freeze do it. In 2017, yep. not long before he was fired, uh, he he spoke for like 16 minutes. And then we saw Jeremy Pruitt do it a few years ago with Tennessee where he basically went through the entire roster, like player by player, and just read off the roster and would say like a little thing or two about a player. And that went on for, you know, 15 minutes or so. So it's always amusing to me how a coach can filibuster their way through SEC media days when when they don't want to take any questions. Yeah, just when in any situation like that, it's I I love seeing other media members come at some of these coaches because there's if you've been in media at a particular school, you know that the media like the media that covers Tennessee needs access at Tennessee. And so they are friendly a lot of the time to Tennessee. You're not going to get some of these guys, the guys that will not go in and ask the hard questions they're just not you can guess who those people are that i am referring to and i think a lot of people probably know Mm -hmm. um but that just is the way that it is you you can question the ethics of that but at the end of the day it's just sports you know and and honestly not a ton of shade at those people because by human nature it's it's incredibly awkward to put yourself in uh con like situations with conflict and then have to see those people every single day so you write something about a coach. And again, I know journalism, that's why I'm not in any job. That's why there's not a ton of like true journalists, uh, especially in sports, out there. There just there just isn't. I mean, I, what we do, it's, it's content. And it's a content world, and that's most of what you see out there. To write a story and put it out there, and, and then you got to face that coach or that player when it's player, that can be tough. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. So not too much shade at them, but, yeah, it, it is much different when it's the local media as opposed to a uh, Auburn reporter that doesn't have to go see Josh Heupel three times a week. Exactly. So that you can have – like, I'm sure Heupel will probably have, like, an LSU reporter that asks him a question at, at Media Days or an Alabama reporter, something like that. Um and it's always interesting just because they can they can kind of come for you. They 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 can set out to get the answer that they want or the viral moment that they want or the quote that they want. And I just that that rogue factor is always interesting. I I've always... And I already know what I already know what Hypel's gonna get. He's gonna get that. And I know what it's gonna be. It's gonna be about NIL in Tennessee oh, yeah. and investigation. Like that's that's not something that we've really heard the local media talk to him about, which he hasn't had a lot of media opportunity since uh Nico committed or anything like that. So he hasn't really had those questions from the local or had the opportunity to face those questions from the local media just yet. But the questions are going to come from a, a reporter of another program. Yeah. And 
I th- this is what I wanted to get into. We went way around the bend talking about the goofiness of uh, of media days in general, but just what what to kind of expect with Hypo? Because to me, I want it to be as low key as possible. I mean, that is the goal. I think that's everybody's. That's the media team at Tennessee's goal here. You don't want any of those viral moments. You don't want him to get gotcha. You don't want anything like that, especially with the NIL and the NCAA investigation. Like you have some stuff floating out there that he could get asked about that could produce some not so great uh, moments. And so I, you know, he, he's going to get asked the sort of boilerplate stuff about his players and things like that. But like he has a starting quarterback. So like you don't have anything like that. You pretty much have a starting running back. You know, your star receiver defense. There's plenty of questions, I think, but people aren't, that's not a sensational as like a quarterback battle. I mean, that, that was the first question. Brian Kelly's already spoken. That was like the first question he got asked was like, what's the deal with your quarterback situation. And he, he evaded the question and just said, it's uh, he, he said, we don't, what did the, how did he put it? We don't have a quarterback battle. We have a quarterback advantage or something. Just shut up. That's so annoying. But, and you uh, wonder where Butch Jones got some of his corners <laughs> from. It came straight from that guy. 100%. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he, the apple did not fall far from the tree for Brian Kelly to Butch Jones. Um, but I, I do think with, with the NIL stuff, Heupel just needs to keep that line that he has for so long. Like he's gotten these questions already this off season and he's stayed upbeat about, about NIL and he, you know, he hasn't been one of the complainers. He hasn't been a, a, a Nick Saban and he's, he just goes, we're going to, Use it to the best of our ability. That's the way that it is. And there we go. Keep that line. Keep it simple. Don't go off the off the map. Uh, and I think it'll be fine. Hypel, if we learn anything about him, he is actually good in these media situations. He's good at kind of towing that line of being, you know, Pruitt was boring and dumb. Butch was a super try hard and ridiculous and said stupid stuff. You want to just be in the middle, just keep it close to the vest, but give the sound bite, but don't actually say anything, but don't be boring, you know? And, and Hypel genuinely is pretty good at that. Just generally speaking. Uh, hold on oh. one second. Did you freeze up? <laughs> yeah. There we go. Got you back. All right. There you no, go. I don't out. know. The internet's been a little bit spotty this morning for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe it's that midsummer vacation it's on as well. But yeah, Hypo, he's look, he's been dealing with the media since I don't know, uh 2000, whenever he's at Oklahoma. I mean, he's been in the spotlight. This is nothing new for him. He knows how to answer questions without saying a lot. He's not going to have some strong take on anything. He's just really good at saying a whole bunch of nothing. I mean, I think the draws genuine. He's very easy to like. Uh, he, he's laid back. He's real. He's not real cliche, but he does answer questions without saying a whole lot of stuff. So, it, you know, it, it's a good setting for him. Like you said, he's kind of stayed away from saying anything too controversial about the NIL stuff, uh, which is the way he should be. You know, you want to get too much. I've had some churches kind of endorsing collectives recently, which is – collectives are against the NCAA rules, whether you like that or not, it is, and it could lead to some, some issues. Of course, we're all about saying screw the NCAA and do what you want, but they're, they're consequences and it can make your life a little bit harder. So he's staying away from that. 
I think it'll be kind of the status quo. You won't really find out too much. He won't reveal too much. And and that's, like you said, that's the way Tennessee's athletics uh, department, communications department wants it. I think they got to be feeling pretty good going into this, though, because you don't have, like last year, you kind of had who's going to be the quarterback. We don't, we're not sure. Some of the stuff like that, like you just don't have a ton going on outside of that NIL question obviously he since he's not signed yet he cannot even say the name nico yamaliava that would be an ncaa violation like there's and the the media members know that they know what they're probably going to get if they ask a question like that they might still ask it regardless um but it's i'll be interested to see where in any of it goes i was trying to think what else it might be because it has just generally been a pretty like anodyne offseason there just hasn't been the recruiting has been good and that's been really nice it's been a, a lot of optimism and things like that but there hasn't been like you remember uh was, was it with butch the there there was a party where 10 players got arrested or cited stuff like that hasn't happened it, you know knock on wood it's the season is not here yet we gotta get there um but there there just hasn't been that type of stuff like like you kind of said with harson there has to be, come on, folks. Somebody asked the good questions to Brian Harson. <laughs> like, like this dude deserves it. His whole deal has been a complete mess. Um, you know, a, a supposedly true, but maybe not true about him having an affair with a, a staffer and all this stuff. Like, I, there's so much. It's a gold mine with Harson, and and I think Tennessee's got to be happy that there just isn't really that hanging out there right now because that's a, a nightmare to try to keep and especially in an offseason where you're really trying to build like Heupel is I mean they're just in such such a position where they have to have all the PR go correctly you got to have that that program looking pristine and and right now I I don't think unless there's some unforeseen circumstance I don't think they're going to have too tough of a time doing that yeah, I mean, it's been a relatively quiet offseason for Tennessee. They've picked up some some nicer crews. They've missed on a couple, but they've got a top 10 class right now, so everything's kind of trending the right direction. I think the biggest questions, outside of the NIL stuff, which is inevitable, you'll probably see like a big question about kind of stuff. Probably some really mundane questions about the defense, about the offensive identity and how does Tennessee evolve? How do they keep giving teams different looks? Because what Tennessee ran last year, uh, you know, it was based on tempo. It worked. They got the looks that they wanted. Do do teams get better at identifying what Tennessee's doing? Do they get better at practicing for Tennessee's tempo? Uh, Hypel has been an innovative guy his entire career. So what's next for Tennessee's offense from here? Because it, it has to keep evolving. You can't as well as it worked last year, and maybe it continues to work at that same level this year, you still got to put in because inevitably in the fourth quarter of game, Florida is going to recognize a look that that Tennessee gives based off something that they did last year, and maybe that's the difference in the game. Tennessee's got to have uh, they got to have plays drawn up for those moments. So I think you'll I've seen some questions for Hypo national level stuff he's done. I think you'll see. Uh, that be one of the big storylines that comes out of his appearance this week. One of the things that I would love to ask him, and he's, he has kind of been asked about this, and I think I know what his answer probably would be, but you just ask some of those late-game situations or late-half situations, late in the first half, 
when he's pressed by the clock and he just kind of does these odd things as far as clock management goes, game management, where they're extremely aggressive and not really seems like he's not really taking into consideration the amount of time left on the clock and some stuff like that. I would love to ask him about that. I, I haven't been in the media core since he's been around. Um, I I guess I went to his first spring game. That was the only thing that I've done with A to Z. Uh, but out, outside of that, it's just been something that has I've I've wanted to hear asked. And I he basically goes when he's been sort of asked about that in the past. He goes like, "It's the system. That's what we do, and that's." That's the way that it is. And it just is kind of like that where he's pretty matter of fact about it. Uh, and fair enough. Uh, but I've just felt like that was something that genuinely hurt his team last year. I, I think it was it was a mistake in some situations. I think it was a complete mistake. And, and I said it on the show. Uh, I think he you know, you can you can believe in the fact that he believes his system is is great. That's awesome. I think it bit him in the butt on multiple occasions last year. And so. Uh, it, we can have a difference of opinion there, but I'd like to see him ask that. I don't know if anyone will. I doubt it, but uh, that's that's one that I would have liked to seen. But uh, outside of that, I mean, yeah, it just I. What would it even be outside of the defense? Which and that stuff, kind of how you were saying, like that stuff's just only going to be interesting to Tennessee fans. It's not going to be uh, an SEC wide. Like, did you hear what Heupel said about his middle linebacker? That's not you know. That's not going to be interesting, but uh, nonetheless, any anything else I, I want to get into. So Greg Sankey has been speaking live, but anything and we'll talk about what he said so far. Uh, but anything else, Zach, that you wanted to cover with Hypel at SEC Media Days before we move on or the players? We didn't really talk about the players. It's going to be what uh, Hinden Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Trayvon Flowers. Uh, I don't personally, I don't expect much to happen with them. They're just going to get those the questions that players typically do do tough questions a lot of the time. Um, but anything else that you wanted to cover with Tennessee at media days? Uh, yeah, the, the players that were chosen, if you, if you think back a year ago at this time, you probably Trayvon flowers would have been a decent guess because he's been around a while. He, he's been a, a good player for Tennessee. You would have never guessed Hendon hooker who was not really even on the radar, even at this time last year. Uh, all the talk was Joe Milton's arm and Harrison Bailey's potential. Uh, Hendon Hooker was kind of an afterthought. And then Cedric Tillman as well. I mean, he had, what, eight, when did we say, eight receptions in his first few years here at Tennessee before exploding last season and becoming the, the top returning uh, receiver in the SEC, which is uh, an insane stat that I don't feel like has really been mentioned that much you keep seeing these top five top 10 wide receiver list and Cedric Tillman's not on it and the guy's the the leading returning receiver in the SEC the best conference in college football insane uh the, the lack of attention that he's received over the past couple of months and since the end of the season but it really just shows how unpredictable college football is so you just truly never know sometimes I mean sometimes you, you know that that Trevor Lawrence is going to be an incredible player and then all of a sudden, Joe Burrow and nowhere wins the Heisman. Uh, maybe Hendon Hooker on a national level is that same type of player this year where, yeah, Tennessee fans know who he is. SEC fans know who he is. But maybe he's starting the whole year uh, now, full year, 
in Josh Heupel's offense, maybe you really see him explode this year and become a real legit threat to win the, the Heisman. I mean, a lot of things have to go right, obviously, for that to happen. But as long as he's in that conversation, and if he somehow just gets to New York and, and gets to that ceremony, that would be so huge for Tennessee. So he doesn't even have to win. Just show up uh, to that ceremony and be invited, and that's massive for Tennessee. Yeah, that just to get back in in a truly elite conversation where, you know, with Butch, you got into the top 10 after you beat Florida and Georgia and you went to Texas A&M and it was a top 10 matchup and that stuff. And that's great. But people were still like, eh, how good is Tennessee really? If you got a dude, even I think for him to get to New York, Tennessee probably has to have some sort of like, beat Alabama and and like hooker is the linchpin of beating Alabama, like some sort beat Georgia, like some kind of big moment like that, which to me seems really far-fetched. Maybe not. If, if it's not that, I think it has to be a 10 and two season. You win in death Valley, you beat Florida, you come in second in the sec East where your only loss in the East is to Georgia. Like it has to be that. For him to get there, it's got to be sensational because it's they don't the Heisman is does not go to the best player in college football. It goes to the best player on the best team, the most notable team. I mean, when when was the last time that the Heisman went to a player on a bad team? It never does. It, it just that never happens. I mean, you you even had where like Christian McCaffrey was by like miles the best player in I I forget who won it the year he won it, but it was like so clear he was the best player in college football and he didn't win you know it just is like it's stuff like that so there has to be some sensational moment and man that (laughs) gives me chills to kind of think about what it might be but yeah you can't understate how huge that would be because i think it it would be especially huge because i think it has to come with a 10 and 2 season it has to come with a miracle win over alabama it has to come with something like that so you would have a huge season and a huge quarterback moment like that. And that's that's where you start talking about like, okay, ten- Tennessee might really be on the comeback. Like we write really might be about on the precipice of of being one of those teams again that's in that upper echelon of college football. Uh, and and yeah, who knows? Hooker might be that guy. Yal Maliava might be that guy. Uh, Taven Jackson might be that guy. I, I don't know. Nobody's really talking about him, but he's still in that corner. I mean, yeah, too. that could be that yeah. could be the same situation as like Hooker a year ago, where Taven Jackson mm-hmm. and I've written about uh, Taven Jackson about how he's kind of the forgotten guy, where Hooker's going to be gone after this year, and then Nico's coming in. I still think Taven Jackson is the uh, is the favorite to be the starter in twenty twenty three when the season. Starts. I mean, I and and look, he could easily be. Uh, an all-SEC type guy that ends up being a star. I mean, he's a four-star, not that far from being a five-star quarterback. So, And he's very athletic. I think people are – they're not writing him off. They're just forgetting about him. And, and that's understandable with, with Hooker and, and Nico there. Yeah. I, I, he has really just uh, been a background guy. Hopefully he's been – maybe that puts a little chip on his shoulder. He's been working, I I hope. I mean, he'll he'll have a pretty good amount of experience behind him by the time that he is kind of up for that job. I guess technically speaking, he could be up for that job this year, uh, if if God forbid Hooker goes down with injury or something like that. But um, yeah, you hope that's not the case. That's yeah, not the way that uh, you want to see him starting. Don't don't speak that into existence. But um, yeah, Lord knows we've seen it before. 
with guys. Uh, that is how Dobbs got to start. That uh, was uh, an injury to uh, Justin Worley. Yeah, he. I mean, yeah, he. Uh, he started in 2013, and they went back to Worley in 2014 until he mm-hmm. got hurt. Uh, yeah, in retrospect, they should have just started him in 2014. That is true. I forgot that happened. They did. They he he played and he came in and was like pretty good, and then they went back to Worley. I forgot that happened. Weird, weird times. Um, it was Butch Jones. The whole thing was weird. Yeah, that was a that's a total Butch move. Uh, Speaking but, of which, just a quick aside, like yeah. I really feel like Riley Ferguson might have been the best, like the most talented quarterback on that team, but he just did not. He had, I mean, he was worse upstairs than Tyler Bray, and he just wasn't able to to get on the right page. But I always thought, just from watching him, that he might have been the most talented, naturally talented player on that team. He had a a really nice time at Memphis after he yeah. left, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, he. Right, and then he never really took off in the NFL. He got picked up no. by, by a team randomly. He might have been drafted late, but it just never just never panned out. Yeah. Well, who knows what we'll have? That that's the bottom line, and we'll cover what you know our season predictions and things like that in the coming weeks. But let's talk before we get and we we finish with our top five uh, players for Tennessee, most important players for Tennessee in the coming season. Uh, we'll just talk briefly. Greg Sankey just had a couple of quotes here. Uh, he said, the SEC will not be complacent, even with the knowledge we're in a position of strength. And then when he was asked if uh, the SEC will expand, he said, we're attentive, we're engaged in conversation, we'll watch what happens around us and be thoughtful, but nimble, which is him saying, yes, we are going to <laughs> expand. Uh, and and he, he did say, quote, we are a super league. I, I would assume that was maybe in response to some question about the SEC potentially becoming a quote unquote super league. The SEC is not a super league yet. I mean, 14 teams. Uh, I think the ACC is a little bit closer to that at this point with 18. I think that they mm-hmm. have at the moment, but uh, yeah, I mean, San- Sankey, he's gunning. He wants the NCAA out of college football. He wants uh, a huge league. He wants to be the most powerful league in college football. He, he wants, he wants to be, he wants the SEC to be like a division in the NFL. Essentially. I think, like that's his his long term vision. I actually, for anybody that wants to hear a, a good conversation about that, Barrett Salee last week from CBS Sports, me and him talked about that on last week's show, and he had some great thoughts about it. But just some interesting notes from Greg Sankey and what he had to say. Uh, not sure if you saw anything else like that. I'm just seeing the Twitter scroll there. But uh, if you had any thoughts on on what he had to say and his, since he's speaking literally as we we're speaking here. Yeah, it really just seems like he's trying to be proactive in, in, in his stance with the SEC. It's what he's always done. I mean, he kind of – I don't know if it's necessarily where everybody wants the sport to go, but I think Sankey knows that's where it's heading, so you might as well beat everybody else there. I mean, that kind of seems like the approach. And it's all about TV money, obviously. Uh, I don't know. It, it is, You just have to accept it. It is what it is. It's it's where it's going, and you can fight against it if you're Sankey, but – then you just get left behind. And the reason the SEC hasn't been left behind is because they've been proactive and they've they've tried to take the lead on stuff like this. I mean, you don't go out and get Texas and Oklahoma unless you kind of know that's where this is heading. So I'm sure they've already identified their uh, their next victims that they will absorb into the SEC <laughs> because it kind of against their will. Uh, I think it was actually Barrett Salee that tweeted uh, a couple of weeks ago whenever that, that uh, news broke that the 
uh, SEC was in distra- or negotiations with some ACC programs, and, and Barrett said, I mean, and correctly, the SEC doesn't negotiate; they extend invitations. They tell you when you can come join. There is no let's talk about it. It's you're in or you're out. And if you get asked by the SEC uh, to join, you, you you don't say no. If Texas and Oklahoma don't say no, then nobody out there is saying yeah. no. I don't care who it is. There is there is no school that, if approached by the AC, the SEC, would say no. No, we don't want a hundred million dollars in extra revenue. What are you stupid? Yeah. Of course, any school is is going to want to join that. I mean, the TV deal is unreal with ESPN, CBS. That's I guess that's coming up uh, now, but where all of that's going to change the SEC on CBS, but. Um, you know, they're, they're just the Sankey as many problems as I have with him. I, I think he's been really complacent and annoying with like sec officiating and some things like that. I, I don't think that he advocates for the sec in the best way that he can in some situations, but the dude's a visionary and he's, he, he knows what he wants out of this league and he's willing to go get it. And I at least respect that much. Uh, I do see, um, we this is we've talked about this before. I'm just following. This is the live updates uh, from CBS Sports. I believe Barrett Salee actually himself is uh, curating this feed. Uh, Missouri football posted. So Drinkwitz is there today. Missouri's football coach. They said official coach Drinkwitz shoe report, and he has shoes with tiger stripes on them, and they're like. I don't, I don't, I'm not a shoe guy, but like Nike high tops and he just, I'm sure he's wearing it like with a suit and it's just stop. Like we don't, we drink wits is a dork, isn't he? Like he's just a dork. He's stop. We don't need all of this. Look at my shoes. If it feels like when, when Mullen used to do this, Dan Mullen used to do that. Like he used to wear funny shoes and shirts and all that stuff. You don't have to do that. He's like Mullen was at least a good football coach. It doesn't seem like Drinkwitz is going to do a whole lot of Missouri potentially, but, uh, but just, you're a dork. You don't have to do all this try hard stuff. Just embrace it. <laughs> just be, that's, that's one of the main things that I like about Hypo is he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't, uh, he, he knows who he is. He's a football guy and he, and, and it's kind of, it's similar with, uh, with Brian Kelly too, just where he's like putting on a Southern accent and all this stuff. Just don't nope. You don't have to do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. It's okay. Uh, but that just I'm a just, funny note there. Uh, looking at these shoes, I had to. That's awful. These are really, really, really bad. They look like a. Uh, they look like a combination of a couch that you would see, in <laughs> being sold at a flea market. And I don't know. It's just bad. There's a lot going on there. Go look at them. Go just. Twitter search Eli Drinkwitz and they they pop right up. I, I'm with you. It's definitely trying too hard. Some coaches can do this and it's genuine. It comes across. It doesn't come across like they're trying too hard. Roy Williams, he used to be the UNC football coach. I used to use him all the time with his shoes for the game, and that's kind of made it a fun thing. Like he leaned into it. Like I'm I'm too old to be wearing these, but I'm going to anyway, and I'm going to have fun with it. Like it was kind of a tongue in cheek type deal. Drinkwitz and Mullen, it definitely feels like they're trying too hard. Uh, I like Hypo. Hypo just wear like the uh, the low top Jordans, the orange and white, and they were 
uh, it looked like he wore the same pair for three months straight. They were creased. Uh, and then the toe, which real sneakerheads, you know, obviously can't stand that. They'd rather you just like take your shoes off while you're driving type deal. Hard for him. Nick Saban, he wears loafers everywhere the guy goes. Like the exactly. only time you see him in tennis shoes is on the practice field I was while say he's this. actively coaching football. If Nick Saban's the best recruiter in football, I don't think it's uh yeah, I don't think it's necessary. Have you ever seen Nick Saban talk about the shoes that he's wearing? No, you have not. And that's about all you need to say as far as that goes. <laughs> it's just like the greatest coach in the game doesn't do it. You know what? This. I actually, actually read a uh, article recently. Unfortunately, I can't remember where it came from. I was on vacation and I was reading it. And it was about Nick Saban and, uh, and the program that, that he runs. In fact, I think it was actually about some of the – it was a interview with some of the coaches that had coached under him. I think Jeremy Pruitt was, was part of the interview, actually. But one of the assistants that used to coach under him talked about how Nick Saban wears the exact same thing to practice every single day. It's the exact same. It's like a little vest type deal, the hat that you see him wearing, a pair of shorts. It's the exact same thing. And apparently, like, he is so detail-oriented that they would have their team meetings, position group meetings before practice, and he would be in, like, uh, you know, business wear type stuff slacks and and the loafers and and for the means he would change before going out to the practice field and he had that very same thing every single day so he would not waste time changing because he said i do not have time to be worried about what i'm going to wear i need to five minutes to change i don't need 10 minutes to decide what i'm going to wear and it's like it's down to the moment where he's allocating five extra minutes for himself based on not having to pick out his clothes for practice like that's how that's how much he cares about what he wears i'm a really regimented person i eat the same thing for breakfast and the same thing for lunch every single day and i'm i'm kind of like that i have a revolving set of clothes that i wear you might notice i wear like the same hat on here always and just like a t-shirt stuff like i sabin is the bane of my existence as far as us being a sports fan and I hate the guy, but damn it. I respect that, that whole, th- <laughs> I, I gotta say, I mean, he, he's like a cartoon character. Like you would open his closet and it would just be the <laughs> like, same du- thing like yeah, that up. showed Doug funny. You remember yeah. the, the show Doug? That was his closet. Yeah. That's what I always think of. <laughs> yes. Just the same clothes all lined up. Um, it, yes, you know what's about Saban is it works, but it cannot be easily replicated. Like even Kirby no. Smart kind of does things his own way. He and that's why he's been successful is because he's taken the Saban way, but he's kind of trying to make it his own or do his own thing. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, Jim McElwain, uh, Will Muschamp, they all fail as they try to do it exactly like Saban. And you're not Saban. You don't have that presence. You're not that guy. It's not going to work. It just won't. You you got to have your own deal. As a coach, I think that that's absolutely true. Cause yeah, it's like Pruitt showed up. He just wanted to be saving. That was it. And he was trying to force that on. And it was like, you have won Zippo. You've done nothing. You have no respect. You are not that guy. And you're not going to come in here and be a tyrant because you, who to who gave you that, you know, just because you get paid 4 million bucks, your name is on the door. You're just going to be a psycho. That's not how this works. Like, Saban can do that because he's won 
10 national championships or whatever it is at this point, like six or seven or eight or too many. It depresses me to talk about. <laughs> um, like he can do that. You cannot do that. And it's, it's kind of like, I almost feel that way with Drinkwitz. He's so bad where you're almost like, you stink. You can't have fun. There's no fun. Like Kiffin, Kiffin can have fun. He had a 10 win season last year. He can have a little bit of fun. You stink. <laughs> you can't do anything. That's not allowed. What are you doing? How about you get into the, the friggin' film room and you get a better football team? Like that's, that's I don't know. Just some of that stuff. It, uh, yeah, it, it's, I like talking about it, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely a, a stickler. Probably. I care about it more than I probably should. It just annoys me. Just don't, don't be a dork. We all know who you really are. Uh, so there's, there's that. Uh, we could talk for days about uh, SEC Media Days. It's so fun. But we'll move on to the final segment of the show. Top five most important players for Tennessee in 2022, kind of kicking off our season preview coverage uh, for the 2022 campaign. Um, we collaborated on this. We, we thought about doing where we each had a list of five, but we thought that might get a little messy, so we paired, we made it a collective list of five. Um, between ourselves, and we'll we'll just count it down, and then I think at the end we can kind of say like uh, our honorable mentions, sort of a number six position. We also had some thoughts on to some guys that got left out, but maybe should be considered extremely important for Tennessee. But Zach, go ahead and and start us off here at number five for Tennessee's most important players in 2022. Uh, who's number five? Yeah, I, I really feel like part of this list you could have put in any order. Uh, but the last name I wrote down, so I, I started from one to five. So my feeling was that uh, number five was Trayvon Flowers. I feel like he's a very important player to Tennessee's defense. He's uh, He's got, got to be the captain of the secondary back there with Alante Taylor and, and Theo Jackson gone. He's the, he's the senior guy. He's the experienced guy. Uh, that whole unit needs a lot of help. I mean, that's probably the weakest part of Tennessee's defense, especially at cornerback. But Trayvon Flowers can kind of be the guy that the glue that holds that position group together, and he's he's got to be that guy. He's got to stay healthy, and, and if so, I think that that group can be at least average. And that's really all you're looking for out of them this year. They don't have the depth. They don't have the talent that some of the other secondary groups in the SEC has. But uh, Flowers and his veteran leadership, I think, can make a real difference. Yeah, I, I hope that him speaking at media days is kind of a sign that he's stepping up and and really being that guy and a leader in the room. I think he has that potential. You just you lose a lot of fire with Elante Taylor, man. He he obviously brought a lot of talent. Uh, they got him drafted into the NFL, but he he also I mean he was a leader. He was very vocal. He had a lot of fire. Um, maybe a little too much sometimes, and. Uh, and you, you kind of have to replace that, and maybe he can be a you know a little more level-headed version of Elante Taylor, almost um, p- potentially in, in that defensive back position. I think he's yeah. The defense this year is just I think the linchpin of everything, right? And and so stopping stopping the pass and and covering, I mean, especially after last year, covering the middle of the field. 
some things like this, obviously that goes to linebackers and, and has some other factors to it too. But um, I think it's incredibly important because you just, you think when it is as back and forth as Tennessee games are going to be with Heupel, one batted pass can be the game. This mm-hmm. one batted pass was the game against Kentucky this past year. Like think about that. And so it can be that tenuous, that close. And uh, so, yeah, he's, he's incredibly uh, important. Who is, who's number four for you? Uh, I think it's got to be one of uh, Tennessee's pass rushers. And I think it can be either one of these guys. I lean towards Byron Young uh, being guy, but Taylor Barron right there. You need those guys to work together. Byron Young, I believe he led the team in uh, tackles for loss last year. Him and Tyler Barron and I believe Jeremy Banks all kind of had around five, five and a half sacks. You really want to see one of those guys get close to about 10 sacks this year, and you need the other one to be right at around six or seven. I mean, that's – if quarterback is the most important position on the field, and I think getting after the quarterback has to be right there uh, next to that. I think you see in the NFL your highest-paid players, your quarterback, your edge rushers, and your cornerbacks. And uh, I, I think that's just as true in college football. Like, those same guys are just as important. If you can get the quarterback, if you can make him uncomfortable – Get them in some third and long situations. I mean, your your chances of winning the game go way up. Uh, Tyler Barron coming back this year when he could have um, he was in the transfer portal uh, very briefly. I'm sure some NIL deal kind of helped uh, bring him back to to Tennessee. Getting him that was very important. But if that combination really need them to step up and and just take another step forward, they played well last year, but they got it. They just got to take it up a notch this year. Yes, a- absolutely, because. Like you said, if you can have a 10-sack guy where Young Young was at five and a half, Banks at five and a half, Matthew, Matthew Butler at five, Tyler Barron at four. Yeah, I mean, if you can double that production for both of those guys, uh, 10, uh, 10 for Young, eight for Barron, something like that, that's a dangerous pass rush. Uh, and that means that they're getting back there into that backfield a lot and that they grew a lot over the, the offseason. It is is just another piece of that defense where any disruption any you know a hold on third down like and and not letting uh, the team respond after a big score that Tennessee will inevitably have in all these games you know their that quick strike offense you know getting a stop is like it's the, getting a stop is going to be gold for this team in in this this coming year especially with so many of these toss up games you just you don't need turnovers you don't need turnovers yeah oh my gosh it's it's gonna be huge like think about the importance of the difference that like Derek barnett made like the the Mm -hmm. 2016 uh georgia game the strip sack in the end zone got tennessee the lead in that game they do not win without it it was huge and just even even if you get the quarterback of any given team here in footsteps and then they make mistakes like so much of that is so important. Uh, and of course, Flowers and the defensive backs work in sort of in tandem with the pass rush. You can kind of have a coverage sack where the coverage is so good that the quarterback doesn't get a pass off and then he gets sacked. Um, you know, they, they can kind of work in tandem. Uh, it, it's just, it's all just going to be so key uh, with this with this team. But where where did we go for number three? I think pe- people might be sensing a, uh, a theme here. But uh, number three, Zach, for our top five player. 
Yeah, I had uh, Jeremy Banks there. I think he's the leader of the defense. I think you need him to be at a high level. You need him to to really be the guy, kind of like Trayvon Flowers is in the secondary. You need Jeremy Banks there to to be that guy for the entire defense. Um, Tennessee's going to face some more. Uh, the longer that Josh Heupel's at Tennessee, the longer this style of offense is successful, the more you're going to their team kind of copy in that, and they're going to incorporate tempo into their offense in their own unique way. Uh, that means opposing offense is going to be moving faster. Jeremy Banks has the uh, – and the whole defense has the benefit of practicing against Tennessee's offense every day, so they're kind of more pre- prepared to to handle this than maybe some other defenses. But there's some quick calls you got to make. Jeremy Banks going to have to make sure everybody's lined up in the right spot. He it, That's that's his responsibility. I mean, he is uh, the guy out there. He's the extra coach, extra defensive coach, basically. He's got to play more controlled this year. He's got to cut down on the dumb penalties. You can't have a, a personal foul penalty kill you in the third quarter if you've made a third down stop, and then you give the other team fresh life. I mean, there's nothing more maddening for a fan, a coach, or probably even a teammate than to see something like that happen. I love Jeremy Banks and the way he plays. I mean, he plays with aggression. He's physical, high energy. He's passionate. He wants to win. Uh, he's out there for all the right reasons. He just has to harness that. And I know that's been a big point of emphasis for Tim Banks and that defense and the position coaches, but this is Banks. It feels like he's been at Tennessee forever. Uh, this is his last hurrah. So he really, uh, if he wants a shot in the NFL, he's got to prove that he can play controlled out there and be a of the defense. He had 128 tackles last year. That dude was all over the field. Uh, I think that uh, you move on numbers in in the coming season he's he's gonna be a linchpin and and that's that's why we put him there i think he's he's the most important piece on that defense and just any anybody at that at that mic spot uh because it just is uh well the am i thinking of that i'm forgive me I'm not a huge like uh is it is it what's the middle line middle linebacker is mike right or will what's who yeah it, it's mike I'm, but at the same time you get so many nickel packages in, in college yeah. football these days where you got five dvs on the field with two linebackers it's doesn't it even it's, matter it's kind of yeah it's kind of weird i mean uh you're gonna but have byron gonna... young kind of lined up as a linebacker but pass rushing linebacker and then maybe juan mitchell on the other side of banks yeah he's he's a, a as you said there, I mean, he's going to be the guy kind of coordinating on the field just at that spot a lot of the time. And that's that's the whole deal. Can can he stay within himself, stay stay cool because he is such a hothead and has been like, let I, I want to see him grow. And because if you can harness the talent that he has and cut out those stupid plays, it is right there for that guy. Uh, I One th- that I do wonder you think Juwan Mitchell is going to be a factor this season because he was injured last year and people people really thought he was going to contribute, uh, gets injured and doesn't end up playing uh, barely at all. So uh, yeah, people he, he's not going to talk about it at all. No, people assumed he was going to hit the transfer portal, but he didn't. Yeah, me too. You know, he, stayed, he was the leading tackler at Texas the year before he came to Tennessee back in uh, 2020, the COVID-shortened year. You said he kind of got injured. I know Buck Rising, uh, A to Z Sports, the host of show on 105 Zone, the Buck Rising show, he had Tim Banks on earlier this offseason and specifically asked him about Jawan Mitchell. And, you know, Banks kind of said, 
you know, he's getting healthy and we need him to be a big part of the defense this year. Like we need him to, to, to contribute and to be somebody we can lean on. So I, he's got talent, obviously he played well at Texas. If he's healthy, I think he will be uh, one of Tennessee's main defensive players. One of their, one of their linebackers that count on. I hope so. And then it just any of those dudes that are still there, what uh, Beasley, you know, you, you want to see contributions and, and growth from any, any of those guys, because we've already been saying it. What will take this team over the top is just making, honestly, just making the defense like marginally better. Like you were, you were that close where two stops in a given game, two stops against miss uh, against Ole Miss, you win that game. And, you know, it, it ultimately won you the game against Kentucky. And some of those toss-up games, it can be the entire difference. I think you're going to have a tougher time against South Carolina at South Carolina, like a toss-up game like that at LSU. Could have stopped, make the difference. And because you know you're going to score points. You know, you get, you're going to expect 35, 45 points a game. And then can you hold the other team to 30? And and win and win eight, nine, 10 games. Uh, obviously we'll, we'll see exactly how it goes. I, I just wonder, I wonder how Tim Banks is really feeling. I would love to know his genuine feeling going into this season. Like where he really, did you lost some key pieces? Alante, you know, like how, how are they really anticipating the season going with this defense, cause I I'm genuinely not sure. Like, cause there are those rogue pieces. If Juwan Mitchell plays a lot, how's he going to play? I, we haven't seen him. It's, and I think he was the leading tackler at Texas. What if he ends up being a giant contributor and it like turns that defense on its ear and they, they suddenly become decently competent. And uh, you know, that's, that's the whole difference maker. Like it could be that simple, honestly, this year. So I'm, I think part of it is just nervous, finding- but excited finding good leadership on that defense. Tennessee lost yeah. some good leaders last year with Alante Taylor, Theo Jackson, Matthew Butler, one of the one of the best leaders Tennessee's had in a long kind of a quiet quiet type guy, but when he's when he talked, players listen. Uh replacing that leadership, that void in leadership, I think will be the biggest biggest thing. That's why you need Jeremy Banks, Trayvon Flowers, Byron Young, uh Tyler Barron, some of these guys to step up in a big way. Yeah, got to step up. Uh, so now, finally, for for the last two, I think people might know where this might be heading. Although number two was a surprise to even me um, when you you said this to me, the number two most important player for Tennessee this year uh, was what? Yeah, I think I mean it could be one of two players right now. I think that Gerald Mitty. I mean, he's a offensive lineman transfer from Florida. You lost Kay Mays to the draft. You, you're kind of replacing him, basically, in a way. The, the plan appears to be to slide Darnell Wright from left tackle to right tackle. Darnell Wright, another a potential first-round pick, possibly, in that draft. He practiced most of spring at right tackle, so it looks like he's going to slide to the right side. So then you need, you need a new left tackle, right? I mean, the most important offensive lineman in in, in football, the left tackle. Yeah. So it looks like Gerald Mincy might be that guy. It could be Jeremiah Crawford, who was at Tennessee last year, played in 10 games, didn't see a game. Uh, one of those guys, probably. They split time in spring. Mincy, I believe, 
was beat up a little bit at the beginning of spring, kind of got more reps at the end of spring. Whichever one of those guys wins that job is going to be hugely important because you don't have a ton of depth there. Luckily, you've got those guys maybe who can either platoon there or one steps in if one's banged up. But that's I mean that's going to be a really important position. I mean you you got to have a quality, you got to win in the trenches in the SEC. And Tennessee's they protected Hendon Hooker pretty well last year, but you said you lose an NFL talent in Cade Mays, uh, and and depth is uh it's important in really there. I mean that's kind of what held Tennessee back on both sides of the ball last year at times was a lack of depth. So if Mincy and Crawford can both be SEC starting uh, caliber players, that's huge for Tennessee. Yeah, that was one of the most interesting transfers recently was Mincy. It just kind of got ignored. It I, I don't remember much talk about it at all. And it's at such a key position, like you're saying, where you're you're losing. I mean, Kate Mays, just what a giant piece off of that line and, and some losses like that. And he's stepping in as a guy and looking. He played in 10 games uh, as a, a redshirt freshman at Florida. Um, and so he has SEC experience and he can step in. You said it's, it is kind of a toss up Crawford potentially at that spot. But uh, I, I got caught off guard by that choice. And I think it is the right choice at that number two spot because it is going to be incredibly important because of the number one choice, which of course I think everybody knows uh, who it's going to be. It is the, uh, the place kicker um, on the team. <laughs> I, don't know. Yeah, I don't Who even is it going to be this year? I'm Honestly, I was, I, I'm, I was, I was, I was at a war a long napper, but we can go place kicker. That's fine. <laughs> let's, let's see. I had the depth chart uh, up here. Um, Oh, it's uh, yeah. It'll still be Chase McGrath. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a transfer. Um, and then the long snapper, Matthew Solansky. Yeah, these they deserve a shout out. Hey, they're yeah. important. Genuinely, look, the they, long the long snapper touches the ball more than almost anybody except the quarterback, the running back, or the uh, center. So I mean, he's yeah. he's going to be touching the ball as much as anybody in the game. So it is a pretty important position, but not the most important. Yeah, it is. It is not the number one. Of course, the the number one is Hinden Hooker. I uh, I think anybody with an honest assessment of this team looks, and he's the guy. This team goes as Hinden Hooker goes. Yes, the defense will be huge, uh, and and one of the biggest factors in this formula. But let's let's say hypotheticals like this. Hooker connects on 10% more passes this coming year. And you score any number of times. I mean, you, you you look even at just the Purdue game last year where just a couple of throws were just a little too strong. If he connects on those, Tennessee wins that football game. And what does that translate to this year? If he improves, improves his touch, improves his vision, improves his, his you know, being more cerebral and, and thinking – uh, through the game or being f- more familiar with the system. Um, what kind of, kind of steps does he take? And he just, it's, it's going to be the whole thing. Of course, he was the whole thing last year. It made all the difference in the world going, going uh, to him. And so it just, what, what can you say? He's the, his deal is the whole deal for Tennessee this year, not to put too much pressure on the kid, but it's going to be massive. I mean, he's, he is arguably, um, I think who 
what you would say young is probably the best returning quarterback in the sec but i would you he's right there in that conversation hooker is right it's it's yeah. massive i mean you've seen a lot of talk about will levis lucky uh the Arkansas quarterback they like to put them up there but yeah i think hendon hooker is right there i mean the guy i mean he had 31 touchdowns and only three interceptions. That to me is the most impressive stat uh, of of the year for Hooker. Just the as much as Tennessee was throwing the ball and a lot of balls down. These weren't all just short passes, little out routes, screen passes. He was throwing the ball down the field a lot, taking a lot of chances, only through three interceptions. I mean, that's that's incredibly impressive to me. I think that's really the mark of a good quarterback. It's the one thing you see in guys like Joe Burrow and and Bryce Young, they just don't turn the ball over very much. But the Hendon Hook effect, I mean, really, you if if he starts against Pittsburgh, if he doesn't get hurt against Ole Miss, I mean, Tennessee wins nine games last year. If the right call against Purdue's made uh, with Jalen Wright and that goal line call, Tennessee's a ten win team last year, and who would have who would have thought that? I mean, those are hypothetical. On the side, Hendon Hooker doesn't play against Kentucky. Um. You know that's a six-win team, and and maybe they lose one of those other games that they blew out a uh, South Carolina or Missouri. You know, maybe they lose one of those games if Hendon Hooker's not playing. I mean, we saw in that Bowling Green game where that Joe Milton started this opener last year, a Hendon Hooker-led team wins that game by fifty points, and and, and Tennessee won convincingly, but it felt like the offense never really found its rhythm. And that's what that's what Tennessee was facing for the whole year. We saw it in the beginning against Pittsburgh, and, and until Hooker came in the game. So who's to say this team doesn't end up five and seven last year without Hendon Hooker under center? I mean, he's that important to yep. this to this offense. Absolutely. So that's. I think everybody kind of knew that was going to be number one, and most people that would be their their number one. Uh, but just to have a guy who's been in the system for a full year, then had an entire offseason with quarterback Spur, Josh Heupel is, and just more familiarity with the system, more familiarity with the guys uh, that he's going to be throwing, handing all off to, just more synergy in, in general. Just what, what more can you say? It's just going to be the biggest factor on, on this team. Can you go from averaging 38 points to averaging 45? Like, that's wins. That's wins in the win column is just that seven extra points in a game. And so uh, that's that's pretty much the long and the short of it. We can hawk on the defense all we want. This team is built completely around offense. As And I'm sure if somebody that hears our rankings here, our, our list – they're going to be screaming about the wide receiver position. And if, if this was a top six or seven, I probably have Cedric Tillman at number six. Like he's very important to this offense, but it's, I, I don't want to say this and like insult Cedric Tillman in any way, because I, I don't think this is like a hundred percent the case, but Josh Heupel's offense is one where you don't have to, and we've talked about this before, whenever Carnell Tate committed to Ohio state, you don't have to have a five-star wide receiver to make this work. We saw Hillman, Ailis Jones, and Javante Payton last year. Some three-star guys who stepped up and, and played at an elite level, pretty much. You you can get by with moderate talent. I don't think Cedric Tillman is – I think he's got a future in the NFL, but I don't think he's going to go out there and be Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson in his first year or two in the NFL. Like, I don't think he's that kind of talent. 
you don't want to lose Tillman. But if you do lose Tillman, if, if that happens, if something a catastrophic injury happens in training camp, it'll be disappointing, of course, and it will it will impact Tennessee's offense. But I think they've got the the talent with guys like Jalen that can step in there and stretch the field and and make up for that loss. I think I think Tennessee is just better situated to handle losing a player at wide receiver than they are at these other positions. We said it all last season. The system works, especially springing guys open. I mean, it just, it's artful in its simplicity. It was, I was really impressed the entire year because I was so skeptical of exactly how a, a quote unquote like gimmicky offense would be in the SEC. And it just worked. It just worked. Like, that's it. And you're, I think you're exactly right. Tillman is unbelievably important to this team. And I think he could have a huge career year and probably make himself some money potentially this coming year. I mean, you just look at Velas getting drafted. Like he, he, he could make some money this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have Hyatt, you, you, like a Brew McCoy waiting in the wings. We, who knows how that gets gonna, gonna be, but a former five-star and um, you know, you just, you have talent there that, that is going to be able to work in that system and be effective regardless. And so, yeah, you, you said it there. That's basically our number six in terms of most important players was really any mix. I mean, take your pick there. I think Tillman is the most obvious choice, but I think I could also make an argument for like a Princeton fan, Jacob Warren at the tight end position or whoever uh, will, will be the most productive at the tight end position. Because if you could add in an effective tight end, to this offense, that's an entire other wrinkle that is, you know, that just gives you that much more uh, firepower. And so there's plenty to be said about the skill positions because you can also go like the running backs. The running backs were a huge, Heupel ran the ball way more than I ever thought he was going to last year. The quarterbacks were a massively important position, but I just think the stuff that we listed, just defense, the defense becoming exponentially better. Hooker taking that step forward and being even more of that guy and the offensive line in front of Hooker where you sort of go, who is going to fill those holes that are left at an incredibly important position? We just kind of felt like that that trumped that because you know that the wide receivers are going to get theirs. You know that the running backs are going to get theirs. When you run as many plays as Josh Heupel does, you give him as many chances as you're going to just naturally they're they're going to be a big part of this. So we just thought that these other players were just more important. Uh, not that those guys aren't important, I guess you could say. Uh, but any before we bounce out of here, we're going long. Zach, any other thoughts on the top five players for tennis? Most important players, and and I'll uh, I'll throw it in here at the end. This was uh, inspired by two four seven sports. They were doing a countdown of the most important players for Tennessee. Uh, I want to give credit where it's due. We're not trying to rip anybody off. Um, but, uh, they, they've been doing a list. They're only at like number 11 or something. They're doing it in like a slow rollout. Don't know if we'll meet up, uh, on, on any of those, but, uh, I, I have a feeling we'll meet up at number one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I would question their, their credibility if, if we don't share a number one, but, um, the, that they were the, the inspiration for this. And but any any other thoughts uh, on the top five players? 
Yeah, I think uh, to to go along with Gerald Mincy and the offensive line kind of there at number two, something that's going to be equally important to Tennessee's success this year, uh, as far as, as much as Hendon Hooker and protecting him, will be picking up those short yardage uh, plays. Oh, yeah. Those uh, third and two when Tennessee wasn't able to convert there. They That's the one place where Tennessee really has to evolve under Josh Heupel. They've got to figure out how to line up under center and just – bulldoze their way forward for two or three yards and to be able to to do that consistently and that that really starts with your offensive line of course i mean you're running back where to go and and to do in those situations and you gotta be able to fall forward and pick up those extra yards but it's really on the offensive line to create the running space for them so that that's something else there that mincy and the rest of that offensive line will have to get better at this year for tennessee to win 10 games if that's their goal yeah who, who's going to be the earth mover and who's going to be the running back that that hits the hole in that that scenario? Because is it is it Jalen Wright? I mean, I think Jabari uh, Small is just he's just that speed back. He's this what scat back, you know? Uh, he's yeah, not it might be Justin Williams, uh, Justin Williams Thomas, the, yeah. the pickup. That he's kind of a bigger on the bigger foot, two hundred pounds. Uh, he might be that guy. Maybe he steps up as a true freshman. I do wonder. I mean, when they when they recruited him, I was kind of wondering if that might be the move as far as he goes, where at least you, you could get him involved as a freshman and, and say, you are this guy, be this guy for us and kind of put that in his hands. And hopefully I, yeah, you, you can't understate the, the difference that that would make, uh, especially when you look at the situations that Tennessee ended up facing last year, like uh, Purdue um, right at the end there. You know, if you just had a guy who could have walked in to the end zone instead of having to stretch out and, you know, do all that, you would have just won. (laughs) And it would have been that simple. So uh, there's that. Top five most important players for Tennessee. Thanks to everybody for watching, for listening. Keep hitting up the YouTube. Uh, I enjoy that the most. The comments are the most interesting because we can actually get comments. You can't get comments on Spotify. I can't get them on Apple. I love having the comments. Um, I'm probably, I, I want to post some stuff this week on the YouTube that involves other, maybe I'll post something about how Drinkwitz is a dork and see if I can get some Missouri fans. Although Missouri fans just don't care, man. They're just, they don't ever show up for anything like that. They, they're not up for a good Twitter fight. They're uh, nowhere to be they're seen. Watching the, they're watching the Cardinals right now. They're, they're, they're not into college football year round like the rest of the SEC, uh, G, uh, states seem to be maybe, maybe i could make it about uh brian kelly and Drinkwitz and and say that they're just like try hard dorks and we'll say oh, something like that <laughs> i don't we, no, the lsu fans that. will the lsu oh, yeah. fans will come out of uh out of out of hiding i I'd li- i like to poke at them a little my two favorite are Ole miss and lsu because I love Ryan Lane and content. I don't know what it is, but it never gets old to me. And people click on it. So your mm-hmm. comments saying like, what What are you doing? Why are you writing this? Don't, you click on it. The The numbers show that you do. So I'm going to keep, probably going to keep doing it, but it's fun. I love it. And it's uh, LSU fans are right there in that same uh, existence where you, you poke at Brian Kelly and they get real sensitive real fast. It, I mean, it's really funny if you think about it the way that, schools tennessee fans are as bad as anybody for it the way they embrace a new coach those first year or two and then how quickly they turn when things go south and that's what's going to happen in baton rouge because brian kelly is not the sec 
if if this season goes badly, like if it's like a five and seven season, and he's going out and and saying the Butch Jonesy type of stuff that he has said in the past, that is not going to go over well. No. Uh, and I'm excited. I hope it does. I hope it happens. I hope that uh, the Tennessee goes into Death Valley, beats them. Maybe that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. That's the one where they're like, okay, we lost to Tennessee at home. This is not okay. That's, hey, we it's, we can hope. We can dream. That's That really would be the dream. Because um, you get to, you, it in a way, if you did that, you would kind of be exercising the Butch Jones demon a little bit. Because you're sort of, you're like stepping on his protege, yeah. making his life hard. Real quick before we go, what do you think the more important game is for Tennessee this year? The game at home against Florida or the game at LSU in Baton Rouge? Like which winning which of those wins do you think would be more monumental for Tennessee? Because look, they haven't beat Florida since twenty sixteen, and that's a team they play every single year. But winning in Death Valley is special, and Tennessee has not beat LSU in 17 years. I know they don't play them every year. They've only played four or five times since then. But it's still, it's been 17 years since you beat LSU. Which win do you think would be more monumental? Splitting them, no matter which one is the win for Tennessee, would be huge. Right, for sure. Like, start there. But it has to be Florida, right? You gotta get that monkey. Because that's that's the thing that has been standing so hard in your path in terms of getting Tennessee back. It's it's what it was in the mid-90s. You couldn't get over the Florida thing. Like it's just always been that. Back then it was what was standing between you and a national championship. Now it's what's standing between you and just back to relevance. And if you can we we said it uh, what a couple of weeks ago, make the Florida rivalry of football like Kentucky is with basketball now. You're regularly beating them. You kind of have their number. They still get you sometimes. Like, it, you know, it's it's always going to be extremely hard to win in the swamp across the board. That will never be an easy win, no matter how bad Florida might be. Um, unless they just turn into Vanderbilt, which I do not anticipate happening. Um, and so if you can get it to that point where you're winning almost always when it's in Neyland Stadium, and even winning some of them in the swamp, like that's how you turn this perception of of Tennessee and the program as a whole. You can't have something like that hanging over you. LSU is just not a perpetual thing. It would be amazing to win in in uh, in Death Valley, but you don't play them every year. Uh, it it's not a a quote unquote like historical rivalry or anything like that. Even though there have been incredible games between Tennessee and LSU. It's just, it doesn't hold that same weight. It's just got to be that Florida one. Because you would lose in Florida, you lose at home against a team that you have better talent in now. And they have a first-year coach who a lot of people are pretty skeptical of. Again, go listen to what Barrett's Lee had to say about uh, Billy Napier last week. He was not very complimentary of Billy Napier. <laughs> um, and And so you just have everything working for you against Florida. I think a lot of people would look at Tennessee losing in Death Valley and go like, well, yeah, most people lose in L- at LSU. You know, that's it's not that crazy of a thing uh, to think might happen. So it's yeah, it's it's got to be right. Florida. It's close, but I, I feel like I, I feel like I'm with you on that just because it's Florida. But honestly, like you said, if they split and the wins in LSU, it's disappointing, but that's that's a pretty big win, even though LSU's kind of 
down in a way, which I don't think the LSU is going to be that down. I think they're still really talented. I just don't think they got the right coach. So we'll we'll see how that goes. If I, I kind of think about, I think the question for the season would almost be more, would you trade a loss to Missouri for wins over LSU and Florida both? Like that's yeah. kind of the question that I ask is like, would you drop a stupid weird one, but you win the big games? Yeah. And Missouri's easy to swallow because it's Missouri. And like you said, nobody cares. You're not going to have yeah. a Missouri fans churn at you. That would be a lot more catastrophic if it was South Carolina or Kentucky. That's true. I don't know. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks. We'll have our predictions yeah. for the season about yeah, what yeah. we think. We got to keep the folks coming back. So join us once again for more of this uh, premium content. Um, and we're talking about, we, we might do maybe some live stream stuff coming up. I don't know. Zach and I are talking about it. We'll see what, uh, what happens leading up to the season. We just want to get as much hype going as possible. And also I'm going to be back doing game day, the game day show with Jonathan Crompton this coming season. We got to, we got renewed for season number two. <laughs> he decided to pick us back up. Uh, so it's, it's going to be fun Season two uh, premiering soon. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, and look, look out for that. Otherwise, Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan, this has been the big orange podcast. Thanks so much to everybody for listening, watching, uh, at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT at A to Z sports, A to Z sports.com, A to Z sports podcast network feed on Apple, Spotify. I'm trying to kill time where my sp- my uh, my music opens up here so that I can play it. And there it is. All right. Now we're good. Thanks to everybody again for listening. And we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later. I tell you I-